Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders who are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders of teams who are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and creating life-changing years for the people they lead. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United, part of the Jepson Performance Group. Video segments of this and other episodes of the podcast can be found at Sales Leadership United, hosted on Patreon. Think of Sales Leadership United like a Home Depot for sales leaders. It's a comprehensive resource for sales leaders with over 100 hours of tools, training, and insights sorted and tagged into every category you might need to help you become an elite sales leader. A private podcast, sales leadership training, sales meeting insights, video insights, and much more are waiting for you to check out at Sales Leadership United. Don't reinvent sales leadership. Tap into proven tools and techniques used by many of today's most successful sales leaders and check out Sales Leadership United today. Now, get ready for some serious insights from this week's sales leader who's making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello, and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we're joined by Jay Ryan Williams. Ryan is the CEO of Reachable, an executive coaching firm focused on revenue leadership teams. Ryan's executive coaching experience spans high-potential leaders from generation-defining tech companies such as Zoom, Lyft, and Airbnb, all the way to veterans of the U.S. Navy SEALs teams and top gun instructors. Now, one thing that is constant with Ryan, all his clients possess outsized potential and the capacity for enormous impact in their organizations. And that's why I had to have him here. Prior to working with revenue leaders worldwide, Ryan's been a part of a journey of starting companies and getting to 100 million in revenue three times. So yes, he's been there and he's seen that. He knows what you're dealing with and he knows how to get around it. Ryan's coaching practice has been recognized by Business Insider and by Forbes. Now, besides being a highly sought after executive coach for leaders all around the world, Ryan's also an investor and an advisor to high growth companies to the tune of over 400 CEOs and founders that he's worked with in a variety of different companies. And in his spare time, yes, he still has some of that. He's an accomplished filmmaker. I, if you can't tell, I'm really excited to have him join me. Uh, this is going to be a really great conversation. And we have a topic I'm really excited about. I can't wait to get started. Ryan, welcome to our show. And thanks for joining me. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate you having me. Excited to have you here, man. Why don't you start by uh, introducing yourself and, and Reachable and what you do for your customers. Uh, and then we'll start to dive in a little bit. Yeah. Well, I'll just tell you that I, my career started not necessarily wanting to get into sales, but just wanting to help people. So I actually got a degree in education and social work. I have a master's degree in social work. Wow. And then I spent 12 years in sales leadership. And those two paths collided because I kept asking, what else can I do to help the people around me? And I discovered as a VP of sales, I was a lot more passionate about building great teams, promoting directors to VPs, helping managers become directors, et cetera. Um, that, that I said, what would happen if I could focus on that full time? And that's how I found executive coaching as, as my passion. My company Reachable works with CEOs to develop their revenue leadership teams. And that is true from the seed funded all the way through to public companies. We've worked with uh, several public companies where 
they have had critical moments of building out their their revenue leadership teams and getting people to work together. And so that's where I spend all my time. I love that as a as a guy who lives and breathes sales leadership. It's cool when I meet other people who have dedicated their their career and they find their passion in that. So I I, I I've enjoyed the times we've spoken so far. I love what you just described in your journey. Um, I love to start in social work, uh, but got to it took you to sales. Could you give us like maybe just a couple of minutes on that journey? Because most people don't grow up saying I want to be in sales. Sounds like you grew up saying I want to help people. How did that desire take you to sales leadership? I'm interested in what that what that looked like. Well, I found like a lot of the things I did as a kid and through those kind of divine, the defining high school and college years, all defaulted to some kind of leadership. So I would lead outdoor courses and wilderness trips. Um, I, at one point, I was uh, at a company that does wilderness intervention, meaning we take kids out of urban environments where they're getting into trouble and take them hiking in the mountains of Idaho, Montana, et cetera, to really kind of break that frame, right? What we'd say as salespeople, right? break the frame, yeah. um, but but really, you know, kind of mix up things for them. And so that is where my career started in just how do I spend time outside? How do I resist getting uh, what I considered a real job? Um, and that led to a path of, okay, how do I help more and more people? You know, I got addicted to the idea of, you know, my small group of 10 people, how do I turn that into a bigger impact? Well, I work with a classroom of 25. My classroom of 25, how do I trade that up to 2000 kids? Well, then that's a, a role in a management type capacity in a social work organization. So for me, that was as a kind of an impact player at Boys and Girls Club of Chicago. And so I ran the 21st Century Grant. I put after school care in uh, about 17 schools across Chicago, mostly the Chicago's worst neighborhoods. Wow. And um, and when we ran out of money, I ended up in fundraising because I was somebody who was comfortable going to JP Morgan and Staples and uh, Tiffany and Co and saying, this is what we're passionate about. This is what we're doing. How many kids do you want to help? And what I didn't realize is that that, because that was back when I thought sales was a dirty word. What I didn't realize is that level of helping someone is exactly what we do in sales is connecting mm. and saying, Hey, what are the needs? You know, what, whether we're, we're, you know, looking for pain or, or whatever um, our sales strategy is, we're looking at, Hey, here's some resources that can help solve a problem, uh, fit a need, resolve a pain. And, um, and so really that's where it, it happened for me. So I was, things were coming together and essentially nonprofit business development I was working on multi-million dollar deals. I was on a team that raised $15 million a year for Boys and Girls Club of Chicago. We got out of a huge deficit that year. It was kind of recovery from the uh, recession that tied through the 9-11 days, like early, early 2000s. We were still climbing out of a hole. And that's where I was trying to figure out how to fund youth programs. Wow. Um, and meanwhile, I'm teaching in a technology lab with a bunch of kids who like computers. And so I had a friend who saw me finishing up grad school. This was now fast forward to 2008. I was getting a master's in social work at university of Chicago, go Maroons, which I think is let's something go. says, but um, <laughs> let's go. But he said, you look, you like teaching about computers and tech and you don't mind asking hard questions. I was like, yeah, both those things are true. He goes, okay, great. Come work for me, teach someone how this software works. And then at the end say, will you buy it? 
And I was like, it can't be that easy. And you know exactly how that that pivot worked out. You know, I ended up uh, with a lifetime being around tech. Yeah, very, yeah, hooked is the right way to put it. Love it. Thanks for sharing your story. Um, let's let's shift into what we want to talk about today. I think the best way I can do this is I can I can try and take people to where I was when it made me want to reach out to you. Uh, I don't know. It was three, maybe four weeks ago. You shared, and I follow you. I followed you for a long time. I like your insights. You shared something on LinkedIn that the thought was something to this effect: that for a salesperson the comp plan is the job description and that sales leaders needed to understand that the comp plan really is the job description. And I loved it. That stimulated a lot of interesting conversation and ultimately led me reaching out saying, we got to, we got to put you on here. what do you mean by that? Why did you feel like that was so important to share? Cause I think that's a good way to start this conversation. Yeah. Well, before we get into comp plan, let's, let's go, let's step backwards and go deeper at the same time. Okay. In my job working with, CEOs and executive leaders, and also having some perspective on that first time manager, sales leader, series A, VP of sales. I sit between two really incredible perspectives. And they're people who want to do right by their company and want to do right by the people around them. Okay. Those forces often conflict when it comes down to how do we build the comp? How do we figure out what we're going to pay for someone. And so I like to just think about like the 101 of incentives, you know, uh, whether that's, you know, as a, as a junior rep, as a, as an appointment setter, my incentive was $250 per every appointment I got and a no base salary, no nothing, no strings attached. Just here's a phone. Uh, actually I think I might've even brought my own phone for that job, but, um, you know, go make this call set an appointment. And if it's qualified or verified, we'll give you money for it. Well, that's, that's really the nuts and bolts of the basic incentive. And anybody who's read the you know first chapter of any econ book, it starts with what are incentives, you know, what that people will react to things that they're incentivized to do. And who I think is missing that message is the founder and CEO who says, I really want my sales team to do X and I'm going to start with my sales leader. Um, they often don't check their belief on what am I actually wanting them to do, right? With the appointments that are example, it's really clean. I want more appointments. I'm going to pay per meeting. That breaks down pretty quick once you start getting into strategy though. I want meetings, but I want them verified meetings. I want them qualified meetings. I want the meetings with Fortune 500, whatever it is. Once you start adding some qualification, you start to have a little extra complication with that, right? And so I want CEOs to think about it and go, okay, when I create a comp plan for my sales leader, I'm actually doing more job description writing than I'm doing uh, in terms of like financial modeling. Because often they come to that project with a financial model in their head because they're trying to solve the, you said you need to make X and I need the company to do Y. You know, the founder is often reverse engineering what their next round of funding is going to be. And they're thinking about their capital expense and they're thinking, how much money do I have for the team? And they are often getting away from what is the core incentive? What do I want this person to do? Which is a job description, right? And so there's a conflict there. And so I, I want to, you know, basically talk to both of those audiences at the same time because our VP of sales, our CRO uh, character is often 
going to that founder and say, hey, this is what I want my comp to look like. Here's what I want it to be. And, and you know, it's important to have those conversations, important to bring those incentives out in the open to not just here's what I'm trying to make, but here's what I'm trying to do. Here's the impact that I want to have. Here's the type of job I want to do. And I think that's where, I think that's where things get a little blurry, right? Because we start to then go, yeah, but we need the math to look like this or that. Does that make sense? That's where I was coming from when I said comp plans are the job description because we'll say, I want a leader who spends a lot of time coaching. And then the, but you ask that leader what their comp plan is and their comp plan doesn't have very many, you know, ties to OKRs around uh, development of the team, around development of the seller, around creating a, an impact academy, Right. Well, if those things aren't present and the comp plan is just new logos, well, how does new logos tie to coaching? Yeah, I like that. So that's a really good way to look at what are the behaviors that we want and then how do we use those, how do we use compensation to help more of those happen? And so I like that. It's, it's, it makes perfect sense. Um, I think lots of sales leaders have had that kind of conversation, but the way you put it, that the comp plan is the job description. I just thought that was really clean and it was really insightful and it made me stop and think. And, and so I hope, you know, we got 45,000 people that will listen to this and, and I hope that they're stopping and they are asking themselves, are we incenting the behaviors and the activities that we need to have done? Like, are, are they aligned? So is, is that alignment job a hard job to do? Is, is, is that like, is it as simple as doing an audit or is there more to it than that? Well, I think the first part is, is getting clear on what do we all need to have happen? And when I'm talking to, uh, let's say a, a group of sales reps, um, I'll often say, think very closely about what your buyer is trying to get to happen. There's a, a great model out there for you know startups called Jobs to Be Done. Some people yeah. have heard of it. A lot of sales leaders haven't Clayton heard of it because we, yeah, but we sales leaders we join companies after there's enough product market fit for us to go and and hit the gas and scale it. So we kind of miss this Jobs to Be Done stage. So I'll give you a quick little primer. Jobs to Be Done essentially is saying that when you look at your customer, they're trying to accomplish something. They have a lot of ways to do that. They can hire a book, they can hire a coach, they can hire a consultant, they can hire an online course, or they can hire you and your software. There's 15 different things they could do. And you're kind of up against all those things. You know, we, in sales, we often think about, you know, pitching against the non-decision of somebody saying, oh, I'm overwhelmed them. I can do anything. Well, you can cut through all that, just understanding like, hey, this is what somebody's trying to accomplish at the end of the day. How do you align to that thing? Okay. So that's the job to be done. Now, when we think about uh, incentives for our sales teams, for our sales leaders, and for our companies, well, each of those different people from, let's say we're talking about four people, the CEO, um, the VP of sales, the manager, and the sales rep. Let's think about those four personas, if you will. What are they trying to accomplish? Well, the CEO needs to build a big company and to do that, usually in the tech space, we're also talking about companies that need venture capital. Venture capital is a pretty straightforward, uh, pretty straightforward mathematical problem in terms of 
company traction being, you know, quote, worthy of investment. We can do a whole nother show on that, Rob, when you want, because let's I'm do it. I can't wait to fascinated have about the little information that sales leaders have about how VC works, but the founder wants to build the best company for the VCs to be attractive enough to give money. So what does that mean? Well, if you join a company at 4 million, you need to get it to 12 or 15 to get to a place where you can do an attractive series B, let's say. Um, and so if that's what the CEO is trying to solve for, they're hoping that their sales leader is going to be incentivized to solve for that too. So then they go to the sales leader and they go, okay, this means I need you to triple revenue this year and double revenue next year. So they may be tempted to say, okay, well, if that's the incentive structure, I'm just going to add a bonus. If you double revenue, here's the spiff. Well, then you get into the, how do I want you to double revenue? If I want you to double revenue from clients that are going to stick around and not churn, this is where it gets really hairy. This is where there's a lot of conflict. Because if I just say, I want 20 logos this year, um, there are a lot of salespeople who can just put logos on the board. Yeah, and, they'll go get them. Yeah. And sometimes you're going to go close business. That is not a great fit for the company. And when those companies churn right before the Series B round that the founder's trying to solve for, well, you know, that leaves everybody in a little bit of a lurch. Well, why do they churn? Well, they're not happy with the product. You know, I, um, I spent time in a company that sold enterprise and SMB at the same time. Talk about having two masters. So we had one sales process, which was let's do this 90 day trial, but that was really all the money we we're going to get from the SMB because their yep. business changes really drastically every 90 days. And then I'm going to go to, uh, you know, an IBM and sell them something on a three-year contract. You know, actually I never did a three-year there, but I did, I did year to two-year contracts with the, with those groups. And when that would happen, it would be like, oh, this company is not going to remake this decision the way the SMB does. We got two different processes. Now tell me how you're going to comp the sales manager. Do you want your sales manager to spend time with his, his or her three SMB reps or three enterprise reps? Do you want them to feel empowered to go get out on the road? You know, I bought, um, you know, like a lot of your listeners, I was once a buyer of salesforce.com. And uh, when my account transitioned, I got an outreach from the new rep who said, I need to take you to dinner. And I said, look, I don't have time. It's not really aligned. We're good. I know the product, like I'm probably more of an operations leader than sales leader. Like we're good. Don't worry about this account. He goes, no, you don't understand. I need to take you because uh, my boss gets mad if I don't use the expense account. And, and I started to learn about this whole, I'm going to manage my team based on whether or not to use their expense account. I think a lot of people with field teams do that. Yeah. So it's not just about the Salesforce culture. But what's crazy about that in our context of talking about incentives is now we hear we have another job description. Your job description is to spend your expense account. You can't do that unless you're at dinner with a prospect that you can tag going to that dinner or that travel. Um, that's very different than saying, I want you out of the office. You know, somebody the other day on LinkedIn posted, uh, in 2022, you can tell who's going to hit their number, not because you're using any fancy software, but you're looking at their calendar. Um, and that's a, that's a nice kind of a very simplified, deep thought. Who's actually meeting with their clients? Well, in this context, we're talking about comp plans and job descriptions. Is the number of meetings you have important? What if you meet with the same person twice? 
what if that deal takes five meetings? Is there a way to account for that? Um, and then when we account for that, then what do we do with that, right? So we've, we've talked about the CEO, we've talked about the VP. Now we get into the managers. How do you want your managers spending their time? Usually we say, I want my managers to coach. I want them to spend time with their teams. How do you quantify that? You know, what they're probably done, what you've probably done is said, the manager has a number of, let's say a million, uh, just to make the math easy. And let's say they've got 10 people on their team and they all have to do hundred K. I know those aren't real numbers, but I'm not, I'm bad at math. And so you go, all right, well, all 10 of these people have to be at their number. Uh, well, is your comp plan set up so that all 10 of your people are over their 100K target? Or is it set up so the manager just has to cross a million? Mm. So tail of two managers. One manager gets their number one rep to 5 million to carry the team. And another manager says, I'm going to get everybody to 101. And, you know, that, then the question to you is really, who's right? What kind I know what of organization I think, but you're right. Build. It depends on the organization. Some people are fine with just get the dollars. I would pick situation two every single time. I think I would too. I would default to that. And I know that there's always going to be one rep who's out ahead. Yep. And when the team sees you cater to that rep, um, look, I, I'm think you know, think about that one rep who's always ahead. If there's a picture that comes to your mind of who that is, then you've you probably have seen this up close. And for me, there was a rep who was always getting away with stuff. And it's like, I don't want somebody who's 300% and untouchable. Right. You know, um, I, the first real sales org I was a part of, we let a guy go who was at 250%. And that was like three or four weeks into the new VP of sales starting. He saw the culture problem. He took care of it and didn't care about the revenue impact. I'm sure he cared. But don't you want somebody making a, um, this was more of a moral decision about something that had happened. Like, wouldn't you want him making that call and feeling like, okay, I've got air coverage to miss the number if I have to miss the number because one of our star performers is doing something that's uh, culturally out of bounds. I would want my leaders empowered that way, but that's easier said than done. Remember, we just talked about the CEOs and sent them to try to get to the next fundraising round. So I love this philosophical approach. It takes a lot for me to shut up and you've just shut me up really well, dude. This is awesome. I've, I'm on page three of my notes as I listen to you and I, I can't wait uh, to produce this one and get it out. This is a really timely and a really great conversation and you've dropped some real nuggets and for our members of Sales Leadership United, they'll be able to see the video of that. It's so good what you've got. I've got a question that I want to get your take on as I listen to this. This is a really common this is common. Like our listeners are going to relate to what I'm about to say. You'll relate to what I'm about to say because you've been in the game for a long time. <clears throat> There's a lot that's been said about the percentage of reps that hit goal is not great right now. And hmm. um, it's, it's a low number across the board. And that has to do with a lot of things. One of which is the way, like you said, CEOs and, and company leaders set goals. Like, are they really in alignment with what can happen? I love your take on like what it means to set a realistic goal because comp matters. OTE comes down to like your comp plan comes to what are you yeah. asking them to do? And like, so I guess it's a multifaceted question. I love your philosophical approach. So I'm just going to spit at you for a minute and then I'm going to let you do what you want with it. All right. Um, is there like a, bring it on. Yeah, good. I, I, Cause I know you're ready, man. Is there like a benchmark for you that says when you set a standard X percentage of people should be able to get there. Or is there a way that you can 
interact and say these are realistic versus unrealistic i think they're all tied together i'm not sure what i'm asking yeah. i would just like your take on this topic well let's go back to something a lot of people can relate to is learning how to do a skill as a child okay right and so for me i like the picture in my head of trying to learn to swim and mom is stepping further and further back in the pool and making it harder and harder and although I learned to swim, I learned in a way that really frustrated me. And so as a parent, I did the same thing. And I said, okay, I'm parenting the way I was parented. When I was a teacher, I had a teacher, I had a professor who'd say, we teach the way we're taught. And I'm 100% certain that as sales leaders, we manage the way we were managed. It takes a lot to break the pattern. Um, you know, my boss did this when I was a rep, so I'm going to do that, uh, that too, unless I really work to break that. And so if you came up in an environment where everybody was at 50% of their number and the one rock star got to 80% because you wanted a culture where it felt unattainable to hit your goal, um, that's going to be really tempting to build that in if that's an environment you came up with, because that's what home looks like to you. That's where you grew up. That's the you know, that yeah, I hope the parenting analogy isn't, isn't too far out there for people, but it's that's not. that feels comfortable because that's, you know, essentially where you're raised. And then, um, and this is one of the, the challenges around hiring the right leader for the right company. And this is what I do when I'm working with founders in my advisory practice for founders. We talk a lot about hiring the right people for the right job because um, you want to make sure that the that there's alignment to what you're trying to accomplish. If you're selling enterprise, you can't necessarily trust the leader that coming out of an SMB to immediately change their sales methodology to work for a two-year sales cycle versus a two-month sales cycle or, or two-week sales cycle. Um, anyway, so let's go back to this whole parenting analogy, right? So if you're if you're raised in an environment where you you think that performance comes from being really frustrated and then having a final breakthrough and having that one mo excuse me moment where you win then you're probably going to want to create that for your team okay if you are in an environment where everybody is winning and learns how to be great all 10 of your reps are learning how to be awesome one or two are upperclassmen or whatever the analogy is and like they get it quicker and they're you know, slightly ahead of the rest of the group and they spend their time, you know, coaching up the people behind them uh, a little more of a, like a, you know, rising tide, all boats, like we're going to work together. It's a good market. Or even when it's a down market, we're going to work together and get the best we can as a group. Those are, you know, tale of two companies right there, right? Those are two really different philosophies of leadership. And the question that I want to ask leaders is, is what type of company do you want to be a part of? Love I know that. what type of company I want to be a part of. Um, look, I, when I was coming up as a rep and had no money and was, was, you know, just absolutely busting my ass, trying to get anything going. My brother-in-law was going through the same, the same challenge in a, in a sales role also. So one time I remember this so clearly we're pumping gas and we're, we're talking about like how hard it is to like get out there. And he goes, you know, I'm finally getting traction in my, in my job. And this year, I think I'm going to be the MVP on the team. And I go, man, that is awesome. I was so happy for him, even though that wasn't my personal case. And I said, Matt, what did you, like, where are you going to finish the year? And he goes, I'm going to break 65%. And my heart sank. I was like, 
my God, you're the MVP at 65%. Who set that target? Why is that the target we're setting? We're just basically saying it's impossible for anyone to be this bar of excellence, right? Would you, would you enroll for any school where you didn't think you could graduate? That's what our, our oh, challenge is in the yeah. inner city with dropout rates among teens because it feels impossible. And then college feels even more impossible from there, right? The same thing can be true when we think about creating an environment where our young professionals can succeed can figure it out. Um, if you want them to be in an environment where they're going to look after each other and succeed as a group, well, that's a very different environment than the, oh my God, I made it to 65%. Right. So with that said, like, I don't know. I mean, I see the, I see the stuff you see. Uh, Salesforce says it's in the low forties is like what people are, are hitting and percent hitting goal. And and Jim Dickey's work has shown that while companies have been able to find ways to hit goal, the percentage of reps hitting goals continue to drop for like five years in a row or something like that. Um, that tells me that we have bad alignment. If, if the trend is we have fewer people hitting goal and we're more dependent, like you said, the 80-20 rule, 80% of my business comes from my top 20. Like, I, I think we want to find ways to move away from that, but maybe we can't. I don't know. I'm interested in your yeah. take. Like we got all these listeners, all these leaders are listening to you, probably taking notes like me. Ryan, like, what's a good benchmark? Like, is 50-50 a good benchmark? Is it better than that? Is it lower than that? Or do you like not like that? Is that, is that a question you like to stay away from because every company is different? I, the teams that I want to be around yeah. are teams that have most achievement is happening between 80 and 120% of the goal. Now, Boom. I know CFOs who will hear that and then they will say, well, then I need to reverse engineer the goal to what everybody can accomplish. And then very quickly that turns into a philosophical debate on if everybody's getting a participation trophy. No, yeah. let's back up. What do I want? What do I want my customers to experience? Uh, I want them to have a sales rep interaction that's helpful, that's trustworthy. Helpful and trustworthy are things that I value uh, quite a bit. And I think might be close to universal when we talk about where companies want to be to have a you know, long relationship with their customer base. Remember, we're, if we're talking to people in, in software as service organizations, we're talking about customers who can be around for 10 or 15 years, right? That's what the market is telling us. LTV is 10 to 15X sometimes of what that initial contract is. So let's just say that that's 15 years at whatever our yearly, uh, you know, yearly contract value is. If that's the case, then I want that experience to be really positive. How do I make sure that experience is positive? Well, I'm going to compensate the first touch, whether it's SDR or 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 seller, like a account executive or sales rep. I want to uh, compensate them to learn about the industry, to be knowledgeable about how the product works, and to care about the customer problem. And at the same time, I want to set their comp in a way that's that's reasonable so that they're not trying to just get some quick deals done. So, you know, you could, you could call up a client and say, I just want to close this deal. Can I give them some sort of like really sweetheart trial or a big discount? I'm, I'm pretty anti-discounts in sales, but um, not- a, Discounting I mean, is, that has some negatives with it for sure. Exactly. So I love where well, you're one, going. Yeah. one of those negatives 
is, um, you know, we just devalued what the product is worth. You're going to run they're 15% off the first year. Well, you know, now you think the product is about 85% as valuable as you did when we first met. And then next year, are you going to sign that? Or are you going to ask for a deal? Yeah. You know, um, you're going to ask for the same deal, the same way that look, Rob in the nineties, not to date myself, but I probably spent 175 hours on the telephone with AOL brokering free service for those discs that they'd mail us. Yes. I right? remember those. And so I didn't pay for phone internet for like 14 years or whatever, because the 14 years of the nineties, uh, because I was on the phone with these guys, <laughs> like, Oh, can I get this? Can I get that? Can I get, I didn't get a chance to try it out. Oh, you've got a long distance code. Cause I'm, you know, traveling and, and in a place with no coverage anyway. So the long story short is like, you know, you want people who are going to be knowledgeable and, um, and are going to create a great experience. How do you do that? You treat them as a professional, as a, as, as opposed to, I'm not going to give you a base and I'm going to see how well you do. Or I'm going to bet you that you can't move a case of vodka in the case of like uh, some of my people that are liquor reps, like my brother-in-law had had been doing at that time. And so I just, I want to come back to kind of first principles and just answer the question, what do you want this culture to be like? What do you want this experience to be like? Uh, What do you want your team to do? Um, Anyway, that's, I think, and that leads us to something that I really want to talk to you about, but I want to like- give you space to your thing, but I want to talk about culture because I think you can't talk about comp without culture being a big piece of it. Let's go there because we've only got about seven or eight minutes left. So let's hit it now. Okay. So uh, I've been thinking about culture a lot today. Um, My friend, Kevin Dorsey, KD, who he posted something earlier this morning on LinkedIn about culture and the, the old quote does uh, uh, culture eat strategy for breakfast. Uh, And I think his point was culture can be strategic. And that was definitely my point in his comments. The thing I want your listeners to think about a little bit around uh, culture as it relates to comp and reps is, you know, the there are two, and I'm going to speak to two different populations. Let's talk about sales leaders first, and then we'll talk about what happens on teams. For sales leaders, when we are intentional about the culture that we're creating, we do so by creating a value system. A lot of times that is a value system that emerges from the group, right? It's, it's kind of like uh, a bunch of people move to America and write the Declaration of Independence, right? That is a group adopting a cultural value system, right? The same is true when religions are formed. The same is true when, you know, your team is formed next week, uh, or actually tomorrow is the first day of school for my kids in Washington okay. state. So I'm really excited for them not only to get out of the house, but I'm also excited for them to like create that new classroom culture for fifth and fourth grade, right? Where a lot of lessons happen. Like we can't, you can't skip the first day of school because that's when that stuff starts to come together. Okay. So for the leader who wants a, a, a quick hack, if you will, on leadership principles, it's getting that value system set. And that value system speaks to culture. What is valuable to the team? And then when something happens, like let's say you have to change a comp plan, you can point back to that. I worked for this guy who ran Google's North America team and then later was my boss at AdRoll when we were the fastest growing company in the US uh, in, in advertising for 2011 and 2012 on Inc. Magazine's fastest growing company list. His wow. name is Shresh Khanna and Shresh had a, uh, a group of values that we talked about as a company and as a team. And 
you know, one quick example of that is we had the value to be one of the best places to start your career. And we wanted to have a, uh, the best place to work. And even though our office was in kind of a crummy neighborhood, he'd point to that and say, how do we make this the best place to work, even though we're not in the nicest neighborhood? Well, we're going to bring certain things in. We're going to do events inside the office. We're going to bring food in, et cetera. Um, but that's not just like we're going to get food because Google got food. We're going right. to actually like do this because it's value-based. Well, when the comp plan changed, I saw my leader stand up in front of about probably 200 sales reps at the time and say, our value system is to be the best place to start your sales career, which means that we need to adjust the comp plan so that, that is possible. Here's what that looks like. And he wasn't saying we're adjusting it because I care about making more money myself. He's not saying we're going for a series C, so I need it to look like X, Y, and Z. He's saying, look at these value principles and point back to them. And, and when I work with leaders, we think about that a lot. We think, okay, what is the value of the team? What is the team culture? How do I point to that and say, this is why we're changing comp, or this is why we're now incentivizing meetings. This is why we're doing a thousand dollar spiff on the next meeting. Cause our value system is always hitting our monthly number to do that. We need five more meetings by the end of day, Tuesday. Okay. Boom. That's what we're off to do because we're pointing back to that, to that chart. And then the impact on the team, honestly, I want to work on a team that thinks team first. And so when I, um, I had this emergency when my wife, uh, early in my sales leadership career, I was leading a team and, uh, and there were several people I came up with who were not managers. And um, there was this time where I got, a, you know, kind of one of those heart stop news in the middle of the day. It's probably 1030. Look at my phone. I get a text. I have to leave right now. Mm -hmm. I, there's no sign off the email. There's just walk away. And um, a guy that I'd come up with who wasn't a manager caught my eye, knew what was going on. And he goes, they used to call me JR there. And he goes, JR, I'll look at your calendar and I'll take care of it. Wow. I grabbed my coat and keys and I walked out the door without ever looking, right? Now this, this rep was also really freaking busy. He was the number one rep and I think he still is. And he didn't Dang. blink for a second. He said, I'm gonna look at your calendar and cover it. He never asked for a dime. He barely let me buy him coffee the next day. He's like, you can pay me in smokes. He's a funny, he was a funny character. But like, don't you want to be on a team that wants everybody to win equally enough that someone's going to have your back when you have a family emergency? 100%. I love your stories, man. Um, I'm so glad you went to culture because that is, you started with a great philosophy and now we're wrapping. We just got a few minutes left and I, I can't think of a better way to do that. That's about the standard. I, Coach K, we've, we talked about some stories. Coach K used to have a statement. I don't know if he came up with it. He's just one I heard say it. That was standards allow you to be demanding without being demeaning. And, I like and that. I like it too. As you talk about, it's okay to make changes if it's not living to the standard, right? And sometimes mm -hmm. standards change. Sometimes we say, hey, something happened. We got to go here. We're allowed to change. In fact, if you don't, that's a sign of bad leadership. But the ability to point to the value and say, we're doing this because of what we value. I think that's the secret to having a great comp plan is to make sure you have that kind of alignment. Is Am, am I hearing you right? Because I love what you're saying. Yeah, I think it's 100%. How do you get aligned? Otherwise, you have a bunch of people in the room who are going different directions. 
And as, as the startups I've worked at, they become new companies every three to six months. It grows, people come in, there's politics. Look, of the five things that are the most common challenges for a new VP of sales, working cross-functionally is always towards the top of the list. When they call me and they say, hey, I need to figure, figure out where I'm going as a leader. Well, cross-functional teams, the reason why that's a big challenge is because you've started to get leaders that feel like they're going in opposite directions. And if we can't align over a couple of core things we're trying to do, then, um, then that tension is actually counterproductive, right? We're pulling in opposite directions sometimes, or even if we think we're going the same direction, we're both, we're off a few degrees, we're still working against each other enough. We're making each other's jobs harder. And alignment is, uh, comes down to just answering the, the question that we started with. What do you want people to be incentivized to do? And now comp plans become a tool to manage and run our team. Like your Coach K point about standards, uh, it becomes a value. It becomes a, this is what we're doing. And um, at the end of the day, you want to build the biggest company? Here's your roadmap to it. At the end of the day, you want to build the smartest company? You want to recruit the best people? This is your roadmap to it. Um, it's about coming back to the, what do you value as a culture? Therefore, what do you value as a team? Let's incentivize our people that way, as opposed to confusing it with a very complicated table that you can't work out without an iPhone calculator. Dude, this was awesome. I'm going to take you up on having you come back in a few months. I, I, I wish we had more time with you. I'm not happy that we burned through it. It always goes so fast. This is a great conversation. Your philosophical approach to this and this alignment. What I love is we didn't talk about best practices and alignment and, and comp. We talked about being true to what you want to accomplish. I love that because that's something that everybody can do right away. I mean, I guess we'll take an extra minute. I'm sorry. Are you okay for another minute or two? Or do you got to go? I am. You're the one that's going to be late. I'm going to put late, a buffer but... on my calendar. And yeah, you've got another thing starting in 60 seconds. Go. I know, but that's all right. I just I just had someone notify that person. So because <laughs> I want to finish this. Um, any best practices you would say, if you're a sales leader listening right now and they feel like maybe they're held hostage, like maybe they, they, they aren't in alignment, any advice on how to have that conversation, on how to have that alignment conversation? I'd say the number, can, can I do as I say, not as I do on this, Okay. okay. The, the, the number one insurance plan to make sure that you're aligned with your company is we talk about in startups, we talk about a burn rate, meaning how much money you spend of that VC's money. We talk about a run rate, meaning how long you can live at the current income level. If you can get close to personal finance, how long can you be okay if you had to change jobs? Then you start to play a different game when you talk to your boss because no one's holding it over you. Like I can fire you if we don't agree. Um, now you might think, okay, that's a little bit dramatic, but I've been in those rooms and I've seen the look on the CEO's face when they're trying to hold the do this or else uh, card. Um, and I've also been incredibly jealous of friends who have financial freedom to the place they can say, this isn't aligned. I'm not going to do it. And, um, and sometimes that means parting ways with organizations. I know that's not, that's not what you wanted to hear when you asked that question, no. but I think the number one thing is like understanding your relationship to the company. 
And then and that part of that is going to be your personal relationship to money is in, if this is, you know, if you're in a place where it's like, okay, I need this job, then you might be pulled into, look, there's a reason why when they do background checks, they, they check credit scores and debt, right? Because you can't go work at the FBI and be, you know, $300,000 in debt because you could be compromised as a federal agent. The same thing needs to be true for our leaders, right? Okay. I know that's a crazy, that's a crazy point, but um, but so first is don't make, get to a place where you're not going to be compromised on your value system. Okay. All right. Um, the second piece is um, hard conversations get harder the longer it takes to have them. Ooh, that's good. That's gold. So when you say to somebody, I'm worried about this being a future problem, when is the best time for you and I to talk about it? And by that, I hope that sounds like an invitation to a whiteboard, because that's really what I think is valuable about a sales leader's conversation with their CEO. Let's get on a whiteboard. Let's iron this out before it becomes a problem. We've got a lot of other things going on. Let's prioritize this thing. Um, and if that turns into, well, before we do anything, we got to talk about my comp. You know, we got to negotiate my deal before anybody else's. That sounds uh, very much like what we see in the media right? You know, watch Moneyball. You've got the, the manager and the coach. I don't know enough about baseball, but then we got the manager and the coach basically having this season long fight about his contract. I'm not doing it because I don't have a contract. I'm going to do this because then I can interview better next year. Uh, well, that seems like a pretty shitty way to use the year. Sorry. I, I avoided no. cursing most of your show, but um, that You're seems good, like man. a really you can, bad. You can let it go. Uh, it's too late now. Next time, next time, watch okay. out. But I want people to feel like they're in their center of gravity around uh, what they value and the work they want to do. And in order to be able to do that, it means we have to have tough conversations and we have to have them early to make sure that they don't cut us off later. And the way I know that is because that's the thing that I have done the worst at in my leadership career. Hmm. And so, um, so I don't have any secret hacks. I don't have any uh, you know, great ideas for you other than uh, have those conversations early and keep leaning on value system. And, um, and those values, I think will, you know, kind of like your coach K point about standards, like it lets you have a bigger conversation because you can point back to, this is the thesis of what we're trying to accomplish. This is what the team is trying to do. Ryan, you're the, you're a beast, man. This was fantastic. This was even better than I expected. And, and I want to thank you. Um, I, I want to make sure people get a chance to get a hold of you. How do they get more of you? I I, I got to start wrapping, but how do they get more yeah. of you? How, how do they um, connect to you? How do they get more of what you have to offer? There's going to be people who are going to want more yeah. Ryan and I don't blame them. Come find me on LinkedIn, J Ryan Williams. And it's just LinkedIn slash I N J Ryan Williams. And then come check out our website. It's reachable.com. You know, the company name is reachable because your goals are reachable. The URL is ITS reachable um and uh and come check us out there we've got a newsletter sign up so if you want to learn about some of the programs we're doing if you just want to uh connect do an office hours and us you know chat about leadership issues or um if you've thought about you know finding an executive coach um you know one of the challenges i've had is that i wish i had more support and coaching when i was a leader and I like seeing people like yourself, Rob, out there coaching and working with elite teams. Uh, in my case, I've built a team of six coaches that awesome. cover the entire revenue lifecycle from a VP of marketing, uh, someone who's got experience at Fortune 500 marketing, like at Schwab, all the way to 
sales development leader from a global 2000 company and the person who built out customer success for Yelp and Square. So Hell we cover yeah, all that's of that. Awesome. Yeah, in that's addition awesome. to my little slice of the pie in the middle there, uh, working with you know Series A and B SaaS companies. So, um, so really, we try to cover all that. And if you come to itsreachable.com, you can find about us and find some of the media that I've got there too. Um, and, and we'll put uh, the links in the show notes. We'll make sure we get your links uh, so fantastic. it's easy for people to find you. So cool. go look for those in the show notes. I got a final thought for 45,000 people that are picking up everything you're putting down. You got one final thought to shut this thing down. Your, your company is going to, if you're at a startup, your company grows and changes every three months to six months. We're going to change your job. We're going to change your comp. We're going to change your manager. There's a lot of growth that can happen. And if you don't personally invest in that same kind of growth, you won't match where the company goes. Invest in yourself first. Boom. His name is Jay Ryan Williams. He's helping people understand how they can take what the market gives and then some. He helps revenue organizations all around the world overperform by doing things like what you've heard right now. And yes, I want to finish the way we started. He's right. The comp plan is the job description and make sure you get that alignment done right. And you can have the results that Ryan's seen happen all around the world. Ryan, thank you for joining my friend. And like I said to everybody, happy selling. Thank you, Rob. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first, this podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. Sales Leadership United is the largest collection of sales leadership assets in the world. Developing sales leadership assets is not easy. Companies go to great lengths to equip salespeople with the tools they need to win in their respective markets. But as sales leaders, we're left on our own to equip ourselves with the tools we need to help us win in how we lead and develop our salespeople. And after a 20-year history of working with sales leaders all around the world, coaching and trails, training sales leaders in over 1,000 companies, and winning an 18 American Business Awards for Sales Leadership, I've collected and assembled an arsenal of tools you can tap into immediately. Sales leadership frameworks, mindset tools, skill set development tools, sales meeting ideas you can use immediately, video insights from this and other episodes of the award-winning Sales Leadership Podcast, a private podcast for members only, and much, much more. My mission is to bring you every tool you need to help you get from where you are to where you want to be only faster than you thought possible. Think of Sales Leadership United as a Home Depot for sales leaders with all the sales leadership assets you need tagged and organized by topics to help fuel your sales leadership journey. New materials added every single week to ensure you stay current and become an elite sales leader. So give yourself the gift of perspective and access to the tools used by some of the world's most successful sales leaders. Invest in yourself. You're worth it. Use the link in the show notes and head over to Patreon to check over Sales Leadership United today. I also want to thank each of you, our listeners. Listen, more than 40,000 people download the show every single month, and the show just keeps growing faster and faster. It's mind-boggling to me that the show is now being listened to by so many leaders in so many countries all around the world. And many of you have told me you've listened to every single one of the over 200 episodes now. And I love hearing the stories of how the show has helped you in your sales leadership journey. They fire me up, and I love hearing them. So thank you. Because there is no show without you. I do this because I love the sales leadership community. I'm so grateful that so many of you find the show helpful. 
Your support of this show has been humbling and inspiring, and I will keep bringing killer guests to you week after week, including people like Ryan. I have not stopped thinking about this conversation with Ryan. So much of the insight in the idea of the title of this show, the comp plan is the job description. That's something you should sit down and think about. The comp plan is the job description. So does your comp plan match what your job description is? Most of the time, I'm finding that sadly that is just not the case and Ryan is dead on. Ryan brought insight to our show around a topic that we've never taken on before and I'm really glad that we hit it. It's timely, it's necessary, and we're gonna be having some challenges next year so if we can solve this problem, it's gonna make your job that much more successful. I think the things Ryan shares are the things we should spend even more time on. Because Ryan's right, we don't always have the comp plan follow what the real needs are of an organization. And when the needs and the comp don't align, the result, it's conflict. I think of a lot of different words when I think of this episode, but the one that stands out to me the most is alignment. If Ryan was back on, I think he would give me that awesome smile and be nodding his head and say, yeah, you're right, man. Um, I think about a car. If your vehicle doesn't have good alignment for its wheels, then as you drive, you're going to burn through tires faster than you should. In fact, the more you drive, the faster you're going to burn through. And if your comp plan isn't aligned in a similar way, if you don't have people doing similar things and united in their effort of what they do and what we want to achieve, what's going to happen is you're going to burn through people in a similar way. Some of them will be your people. Some of them are going to be your partners. Um, so I want you to go back and pay attention to some of these insights Ryan shared. It's a good one to go take some notes on. It's a good one to go listen to again. I've listened to it a couple times and, I, and I've got a lot from it. I want you to go back and, and jot down some of the things that Ryan encouraged you to audit. For example, what do I want customers to experience? What are those activities? What culture do you want the members of your team to experience? And what culture do you want to create? Here's a third one. What do you want people inside the company to do? And I think Ryan's right. The hard conversations, man, they get harder the longer it takes to have them. So here's an interesting way to think about this. Imagine two parallel lines like train tracks, okay? The farther, um, like if they're aligned, it doesn't matter how far you go down the road. If they're perfectly aligned, you're gonna stay the same distance to your customer or to the other, to the other rail or the other line doesn't matter how far you go down. But if those lines are just one or two degrees off, then the farther you go down this road, the farther apart you become. And the more effort it will require to fix and regain alignment. And one of the most important places to do this is in the comp plan. This will impact what the members of your team do. It will impact who they call. It will impact how they interact with the members of their cross-functional teams. It will impact what else? The resources they choose to use. It'll impact the conversations they choose to have. It'll impact how they choose to spend their time. Listen, it's gonna impact everything that matters. I believe as sales leaders, we have three core roles. Role two, that's the one where we gotta build an environment where the motivated can thrive. To do that, we've gotta be gardeners. We have to build soil that will allow any kind of plant to grow. And then we have to feed that plant and we have to water that plant. So we need to create an environment where any kind of plant can thrive. As sales leaders, we have to do this so any kind of motivated rep can thrive. Create that soil and create a culture where you surround every member of the team with the things they need to win. Equip them for success. Feed that rep with coaching and development. And then weed by removing the toxic influences. 
team members, or customers. And then in the soil building element, we can't deny it, compensation is a huge component of that element. So make sure you've got high quality soil. Make sure that the comp plan is aligned in a way that the reps can do the things that lead to not only success for the rep, but success for the culture of the team, and maybe most important, success for the customer experience. Now, as new budgets and plans are made for the coming year, now is the time to speak up and have impact in the comp plan. Because Ryan is right. The comp plan is the job description. So let's make sure we're aligned and we're chasing the same things. Because this one thing, follow Ryan's one suggestion, it can fix more things than you might ever think possible. So Ryan, thank you so much for joining me today. The work you do is amazing. The insights you have are inspiring. I appreciate the knowledge you shared and I'm hopeful we have you back for a round two sometimes next year. I wish you massive success as you help people achieve more and have more fulfilling lives and careers. If you haven't done so already, please take the time to connect with Ryan. He's an awesome, awesome follow and the insights you're gonna gain from him will help you become a much better sales leader. Finally, again, thanks to each of you, our listeners. If you liked this episode, please give us a shout, give us a five-star review on iTunes. It goes a long way in helping me continue to get the best guests in the world on our show. Many of you have asked how you can support the show and you can do it two ways. The first is to check out Sales Leadership United. For the cost of lunch, you can make an investment in yourself that will be a game changer. But the easiest way to support us is to just share this episode with your friends and colleagues. Share it on your social media channels. Share the show with someone who needs to hear it. And then be elite, live strong, chase your passions, and don't worry, just execute. Because we got you. Thank you so much for joining the Sales Leadership Podcast, the award-winning sales leadership podcast for those sales leaders looking to create legendary impact to those they lead. The greatest compliment you can give is to share this show and any of your favorite episodes with your fellow sales leaders, social media followers, or other communities you're part of. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. If you want to discuss any of the topics discussed on the show, want to level up your leadership impact, discuss executive coaching services, or even include me at an upcoming event, hit me up at rob at jetpg.com. That's rob at jeppg.com. And to those of you working to become a legendary sales leader, I salute you and wish you much success on your journey. Whenever you need someone in your corner, you know where to find me.